Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Kroger, fresh for everyone. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. All right, this is a very different show for us. Let me take care of a little bit of business off the top, and then we'll kind of get into what I think is still going to be a really fun broadcast. Of course, we're happy to have you with us as you all are enjoying your Christmas and holiday season. So we are at home today for reasons that I'm sure by now, if you're a regular viewer, you're pretty familiar with. So we are at home today on all of that. Normally Fridays in our show means Jeff Sintel. Jeff not able to be with us today. So what we're going to do here in a moment is, in a very relaxed and casual way, we're going to bring in John Stinchcomb. In fact, let's go ahead and get ready to bring in John here right now and just have a really fun conversation. I've got some housekeeping stuff to take care of on the other side of this. We'll take your comments as we typically do. I'm going to speak directly to our podcast audience here coming up in just a few minutes there as well. But on a fun Friday, Friday before Christmas, John's got his Christmas attire on, which I love to be able to see. Uh, so in a day in which Jeff Sintel can't be here, boy, uh, you talk about an amazing uh, guest to be able to have. Obviously, Monday or normal day with John, it's Christmas. So why not move this up and do it a day earlier than normal, or I should say a, you know, a show day earlier, a couple of days on the calendar earlier. John, Merry Christmas. Welcome in to our program here today. It is a really great thing to have you with us here today. Well, glad to be here and uh, Merry Christmas to you and yours as well, B.A. And I appreciate you kind of being a part of the conversation we're having. And I know you observe this stuff throughout the week the same way that I do. Obviously, I kind of live immersed in it. And to me, what's been so much fun kind of right here ahead of Christmas is the way we've kind of gotten back on track again. You know, the Carson Beck news uh, gave us that chance to feel good about the 2024, you know, season for Georgia coming up again. And the conclusion of the 2024 recruiting class kind of gave us that almost sort of old school national signing day excitement that seemed like it kind of been absent, not just for Georgia, but perhaps across the sport there as well. Signing day doesn't quite feel the same way that it used to in the transfer portal era, but uh, Georgia had a great Wednesday as well on what has now become national signing day. And so John, I'm sure you're very much just like me, very happy to be having like good, fun Georgia conversations again, obviously not in the college football playoff dog fans, justifiably disappointed about that but over the course of the last couple of days nothing to be disappointed about we are we are truly back when it comes to all of that yeah in a season of chaos this has been a week that provides gift after gift and you start with the Carson Beck announcement that he's going to return and not only lead this team to the Orange Bowl but uh, will be leading this team next year that's great news and that was just the tip of the iceberg of, of more great things to come you look at signing day and the number one class in the nation, you look at all the position groups where we have the number one and number two, the number three player in their position group. Uh, it was a great opportunity to celebrate being a dog. Uh, and then in contrast, you look across the board and there's a lot of concern. If, I, if I'm sitting at Florida State, you're going, man, the, the news isn't nearly as chipper uh, down in Tallahassee. So so much to be grateful for and a week that we can certainly celebrate. All right, so let's try to walk through some of this here for a moment. And since it's kind of happening right now, I, I do want to talk to you about this. I, I don't even, I, I'm, I'm not an expert in this. I'm assuming that you're not either, but there's a board of trustees meeting at Florida State taking place here right now. And you want to talk about weirdness going into the Orange Bowl next week. You know, the idea that right now Florida State's essentially in a meeting talking about its future like you know this is a much bigger word that i should be using and on a show like this you should probably never hear but there's a true like existential crisis taking place at florida state right now where 
on the heels of, you know, a 13 and 0 power five, you know, undefeated conference champion being left out of the playoff and having some of that, I believe, be used against Florida State on the recruiting trail here this year. You know, Florida State now kind of one more time kind of pounding that fist on the table saying, all right, once and for all, finally and forever, we have got to get out of the ACC and presumably pay whatever it takes to kind of break this contract. Legally, I don't know what's possible there on that. I assume it must be difficult because they've been trying to do this for a couple of years and haven't been able to. So legally, it must not be the easiest thing to do because their process of attempting this has been going on for quite some time. But we can also assume that if they finally figured out a way or if they're just going to like bull in a China shop, just sort of like smash and break whatever they have to in order to try to get their way. Boy, John, this has long term ramifications for college athletics almost for certain. But it also makes the Orange Bowl vibe completely different to think that you're playing a team that's trying to like break the system. They're trying to put the system on trial, you know, right before this game. How weird is all of that? Well, let's start with the Orange Bowl and work our way back through for Florida State and the general ramifications that, you know, the big picture has for them. I think for Georgia fans, it's similar to what we experienced, you know, that scorned, we feel insulted by being left out to the years, the few years ago when we played in the Sugar Bowl against Texas. And it was like, hey, we still have something to prove. But, you know, you get out there and your feelings are still hurt and your and your attention is uh split and divided in multiple places not only for the players but for the coach uh, the coaches the fan base it was one of those where you know we shouldn't be here everybody should recognize that we shouldn't be here and then the product was doo-doo right i mean the georgia went out there and played one of their worst games in recent memory uh under the kirby smart era so it we have been in a similar situation where you feel like we deserved better and our attention is now divided. We saw the product that took the field. That would be my concern if I'm Florida mm-hmm. State, if I'm focused solely on the Orange Bowl. Now, let's recognize that the, the landscape of college football has valued anything outside of college football playoffs. It's devalued to the point where it's like, what are we doing here? Yeah. And you look at the 12-game you know, projected college football playoffs and say, well, that's got to be a better model even though there are still teams that are left on the outside of that playing in bowl games that are meaningless, uh, similar to what we see here. Now for Florida State, big picture wise, I think what, if anything, the committee, the college football playoff committee has said is if you're outside of meaningful football, if you're outside of the Big Ten or the SEC, then just know that your future is in jeopardy. And I think that's what FSU is, is trying to, come to grips with we play in a conference that is second tier at this point second tier in comparison to the big picture so they're on the outside looking in they're saying we did everything we could possibly do in our conference and it wasn't enough so how do we avoid being in that situation going forward that means we've got to get out right i mean they're saying we've tried to get out before and they did and you know the ironclad agreement that everyone talks about they're saying there's got to be a way because this conference does not provide an an opportunity and a pathway for us to reach the success that we want to seek on an annual basis and if 13 and 0 in our conference can't get it done what do we need to do to be a part of that conversation 
And I realize that the fans don't care about like media stuff, but I do think about this type of thing where like when you're in Miami next week, there's a lot more media stuff going on than a normal game. It's just a week's worth of activities. And I sort of picture these moments when like Mike Norvell goes to these press conferences and things like that, where John, you know, the idea of, Hey, how do you stop Carson back? That's not the question. The question is what conference are you going to be in in a couple of years and how much money are you willing to pony up and who's going to provide that money to get you out of the ACC? Like this is a very different type of discussion uh, taking place around a Georgia opponent. It makes next week in Miami, I think, Pretty wild, to be honest with you. Oh, yeah. I mean, you you have 10 questions for Florida State, any representative, coaches, players included, and the top 10 questions that you have for them have nothing to do with the game. They have nothing to do with how do you stop Georgia's offense? How do you, you know, prepare for the holes in the defense? Who do you expect in the game? No, it's more about, you know, how, how do you feel about the college football selection committee and what do you need to do about your conference? And what happened in that meeting that we've heard so much about this past week? And, you know, there's so many questions that precede what should matter, and that's how do you prepare the for the opponent that you're fixing to face, who is was the number one team in the country for however many weeks and lost by three points on a neutral site against a top four team. So that's where the focus should be if you're only looking at football. But you're not. You're looking at a much, much bigger picture for Florida State. And I want to explain something because I'm seeing a lot of comments kind of rolling in about this, John, that people are kind of talking about Florida State being excluded from the playoff and saying, well, Clemson's the ACC. They made the playoff. And if Jordan Travis hadn't gotten hurt, this wouldn't have happened and things of that nature. I want to make sure I haven't said this properly. I just want to make sure people understand this, that Florida State's not looking to leave the ACC now because they missed the playoff. Missing the playoff is the sort of spice that kind of rekindles the conversation that has been happening. Florida State wants to leave the ACC because in future years with new, and I know that people don't like to talk about like contracts and media rights and things like that, but in this particular case, that's what this is about. Then in future years, compared to like the very big media contracts the SEC has, the Big Ten has, that Florida State is going to be paid on an annual basis about $30 million less than the teams they're competing with for these championships. And in a future world where player compensation may come from like the actual sort of coffers of the programs and not just NIL, that could be $30 million left, you know, less of like player payroll you have in some sort of future world here. So the playoff exclusion is, to use an old phrase, the straw that broke the camel's back. It's the financial hardship that the best ACC teams have in comparison to their non-ACC brethren. That's the real reason that Florida State wants out of the ACC and the people who are trying to push this being left out of the playoff is just their sort of full and final excuse to do what they've been trying to do for a couple of years anyway. I want to make sure people understand that. Well, and, and, and to that uh, to that end, the NCAA is trying to stay relevant. They come out with, two weeks ago, a two-tiered system, right? So a tier one where we can do some profit sharing with the players and there's commitments from organ from athletic departments. That was a surprise to conferences. You, We heard you know, multiple commissioners say, wow, that's the first I'm hearing of it. So it's their attempt to stay relevant, but it also speaks to this uh, stratification. There is going to be a tier one and tier two as you look across the conference. You look at what UCO is coming out of UCLA with Chip Kelly and what he's saying is like, all right, let's parse out college football away from all the other sports and find ways to profit share and find ways to look at a, a system that identifies certain teams, 64 teams that are 
you know, vying for that top tier, top level of play and then stratify out away from everyone else. So that is the direction that we're all heading. You saw with the, the transfers of teams into conferences that this isn't about, you know, ACC not being, you know, uh, uh, still capable and relevant and all those things. You're looking at a stratification and money, as always, is one of the main components and drivers for this entire conversation. Well, speaking of Florida State, one of the big recruiting wins for Georgia going back to Wednesday was flipping K.J. Bolden away from Florida State. And as it turns out, the Seminoles, for many of the reasons we're discussing right now, may have been only third place in the uh, Bolden decision. But, John, that was that that sort of old school signing day fireworks that, you know, not only has not always been present with Georgia, but it hasn't really been present necessarily anywhere. You know, signing day just feels different than it used to be. My gosh, you know, Bolden was sort of a throwback to the most exciting moments when, you know, you, you see Georgia swooping in late to get a player I've seen in person. I, I think he's a truly special talent. I think he can have a great Georgia career. And, you know, I'm obviously curious what you th- think about all this, but specifically from this standpoint, that in a day and age in which we're led to believe that some recruits, all they care about is whatever, you know, the the you know the, the NIL, whatever else, it, it certainly seems like relationships matter for K.J. Bolden. I'm not naive here. I'm obviously assuming that Georgia had a, you know, whatever's allowed through the rules and whatever, I'm, I'm sure that Georgia had, a substantial NIL package for him too. I, I'm le- certainly led to believe that's probably the case, but, but beyond that, it's also like at least 20 visits, you know, for, for Bolden over the course of a period of years coming to UGA, a close tie between like say Bolden's mom and the Georgia coaches and, you know, relationships can still matter even in the kind of the transactional age of college football we have right now. That to me may be my favorite thing about the Bolden recruitment overall. How about for you? What was your overall take on Georgia swooping in and getting this gigantic win uh, on Wednesday. Yeah, well, one, great player, always grateful to add such talented guys. Two, the Buford curse, which we've heard so much about, is is broken, or so, seemingly so. Three, we got a positive flip in, you know, on the heels of Rayola signing with Nebraska. So mm. there's a lot of just acute wins just in that space. But I think it's also worth noting that you know, for Georgia, one, these kids aren't poor. I mean, this is, we, we've got a collective that does a great job of making sure there's NIL accessibility for our entire roster. And like it or not, you don't need to like it. We've, we've had that conversation here before is that's the way business is done in college athletics, but specifically in college football these days. And when you're looking at you know, let's call it a payroll of four hundred plus thousand dollars per month for the majority of your roster, and that excludes some of your high-level players. You know, these players aren't poor; they're not broke. It's not like Georgia's not competing in that NIL space. With that said, we've heard, and I'm not in the know, but I know people who are, who've said on multiple accounts and and would echo this sentiment that. Georgia has gotten players on discount from what they could have gotten in other places. And and I think KJ Bolden is a great example of that. You read the quotes that he had from signing day and he left money on the table to come to Georgia. Why? Because of relationships, because of opportunity, because of development, because you're competing for a national championship on an annual basis. That's what folks still value. Now it's got to be all in perspective. Again, you, you go back a few weeks to when you and I talking and saying, it's tough for an 18-year-old kid. Heck, it's tough, tough for anybody to say, I'm walking away from six, seven-figure deals 
that, you know, could be life changing for me and my family. For someone who's never made a single dollar, as most of these kids have not, you're going, that's a significant amount of money. It is. But when you have that big picture involved and, and you look at it and you say the experience matters, the relationship matters, the locker room matters, and the opportunity to win, which has been proven at the University of Georgia, those all balance that equation a little bit for players that have that big picture perspective. I want to be respectful of your time here, John, before we wrap up. What else did you like about the 2024 class? I'm assuming you may mention the fact they brought in these Redwood Tree offensive linemen. I'm assuming that probably got your attention, but I, I don't want to presume too much here. What else did you like about this 2024 class for Georgia? Yeah, well, let's start up front, right? I mean, the, the number one thing that if, if you look at the transfer portal, there have been wide receivers, there have been running backs that are available very rarely have you seen these big offensive linemen, and I think there are a few exceptions on the D-line, but generally speaking, when you talk about the trenches, and Coach Smart talked about this on signing day, of that's a position, both are position groups that demand a little more development, and you're talking about guys that you get to come in and, and be a part of your culture and your process and uh, mainstays of the identity of the program. So, uh, you look at the the big dogs that they brought in, and it's a quite a haul. In addition to that, the number ones across the board and position groups, and really the top three. I mean, uh, I'm excited about seeing what Frazier brings to that running back room. It's been, you know, one of the staples that this Georgia team has had is featuring running backs that are truly exceptional. And uh, you're, I'm excited about all those players, but. Again, it's it's the the big dogs in the middle, uh, both offensive and defensive. Locally, it's going to be exciting to see what they can do at this next level. All right, two quick things I want to let you go. Thing number one is this. You know, you mentioned the offensive lineman, and a point that I made a few times is, is that we've got a little bit of a track record starting to form for the transfer portal. It's a sample size that sort of tells us what it is and tells us what it isn't. And a quarterback can transfer like Caleb Williams and go win a Heisman Trophy at USC. A Keon Coleman at wide receiver can transfer to Florida State and be one of the best players in the country here this year. There are a good number of positions that seem like the transfer portal is a pretty good option for in terms of getting better. You don't see great offensive linemen transferring. I don't fully understand necessarily why that is, but you just don't really see that. Georgia in particular has been very good at keeping good offensive linemen in the program. You know, Guys like Dylan Fairchild and Micah Morris are perhaps waiting in the wings for more playing time. In 2024, they started to get some of that here this year. Maybe there's more of that on the way. Georgia seems to have good offensive linemen waiting the wings. And this 2024 class kind of populates the next generation of that. And so to me, I think that's really interesting that of all the things that kind of separates Georgia from its competition, I don't just mean SEC teams. I mean, Ohio State desperately wanted better offensive linemen this year, could not find it in the transfer portal. It seems like this 24 portal is going to be a similar story for teams that feel like they need it. The ability to have good offensive linemen waiting in the wings truly may be one of the true separators because there is no quick fix, easy button for whatever reason at that position. Yeah, and I think it starts with the demands of the position. Let's let's go back to the days of Maurice Claret and Mike Williams. Maurice Claret at Ohio State, Mike Williams at USC. They come out of high school and they're ready. I mean, those guys... They were the ones who were the first to kind of challenge, why can't we just make that jump to the NFL, right? I mean, just super talented, one running back, one wide receiver. And what we've seen is there are capable skill position players that come in game ready 
right out of high school. You know, maybe it's certain packages and those types of things. What you see very rarely is offensive linemen that are ready for that level of physical play because they need those couple of years to develop, to get stronger, to understand that not only will you face speed, but you're going to face speed with power. And that takes time. And what we've what we've been able to do at Georgia, what they've recognized is we can cultivate our own. Let's start with these four and five star guys, bring them in, let them understand. And most offensive linemen do. It's not we're not slighting you that you don't get an opportunity to start day one. It gives you time to prepare for when you are ready, that then you can show the world the talents that you have. For a lot of these programs, if you start too early, and I think we've seen this in yesteryear at Georgia, that because of necessity, we had young, young offensive linemen that played that I think it probably stunted their development. And, you know, that very rarely can you, you're talking national championship competing teams. Can you come in and see the, the country's best at this level? Who wanted to see Will Anderson last year as a, as a true freshman? Nobody. You know, there is, there is. Did I lose John? Is that, is that on John or is that on my end? Good conversation going there. John, you got me? Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can. I, was, I don't know if that was on me or on you, but the last little part of your answer, uh, we, we kind of lost there. So if you wouldn't mind just kind of It was that. long-winded, B.A. Nope. I mean, you know, just rambling on. Don't worry about no, it. No problem. Hey, last thing for you real quick, because a lot of people are talking about this. It seems like even though we're moving into Christmas and, and George is obviously going to be in Miami in a couple of days, there's also a little bit of an on-guard status here related to a couple pieces of news that come out. I still think that uh, smart people think that Trevor Etienne could be in play for Georgia, the former Florida running back. Colby Young is a name that's kind of popped up here as of late, the former Miami wide receiver. Xavier McLeod, the South Carolina defensive lineman. I think that's still a name that we could hear around Georgia. I'm not asking you to break down the game film on these players necessarily, yeah. but just because sort of a broad pick, big picture standpoint that we saw London Humphreys in the fold that had been kind of expected to happen for quite some time. And I think that the – the the sort of you know ear to the ground type scenario here says that a Colby Young, a McLeod, a, a, a Trevor Etienne, these are all very real possibilities that perhaps could come sooner rather than later. Yeah, and I, I think Georgia has proven that they are more selective on who they bring in through the transfer portal. I mean, it's you look at the Colorados and the USC's that take in you know half their roster, a quarter of their roster on an annual basis. That's not going to be Georgia's makeup ever. As a matter of fact, you know, uh, there's going to be more attrition than addition just because of the way that Georgia has set up their program. There's going to be, they try to recruit really well in high school and get guys developed and keep them here and in-house and provide opportunities as they're earned. With that said, there's certain players and certain position groups that you look at and you go, man, a, a proven commodity could really help here. A guy like Trevor Etienne, who would turn him away? That's like a Jameer Gibbs a few years ago where, you know, he's leaving Georgia Tech and anybody who is the recipient of his services for a few months is going to be very grateful. So there's talent that exceeds, you know, the overall approach that you say any team would be grateful to have them. With that said, I think defensive line, uh, depth at wide receiver or cornerback, if you can bring in a, a really – super talented running back you take those opportunities but they're pretty judicious with who they who they bring in and the the particular players that they've 
you know, looked at and said, I think they can help more than what we've already got in-house or what we can add through signing day. John, I really appreciate your time today. It's so fun to do this on a Friday here. Hope you and your family are getting ready for a great Christmas. Obviously, a lot of excitement around what may happen for Georgia in Miami next week and the chance to start laying that groundwork for what I think is going to be a very entertaining 2024 for these dogs there as well. So we appreciate you bringing the festive attire to the program today, but also adding to our holiday cheer with some very, very interesting conversations around UGA. So, John, enjoy the time here over the course of the next few days, and we will look forward to getting the chance to talk to you again soon. Thank you, B.A., and to you and all of Dog Nation, Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. Hope you have a great Merry one. Christmas indeed, John. Appreciate that. Happy Holidays to everyone. Thank you very, very much. So good stuff from John Stinchcomb there. A little bit of a different kind of show for us here today. Let me do a little bit of housekeeping here, and then we're going to kind of move right into taking a few comments. To our podcast audience, we're going to get ready to say goodbye to you here in a minute, and just know that you're going to get a podcast show popping into your feed for the 26th, the 27th, it's Tuesday and Wednesday of next week. No show for us on Christmas, but a couple of shows next week leading into our live uh, broadcast from Miami, which for us, for Dog Nation Daily, will begin on Thursday. So we're going to get ready to say goodbye to all of you and say Merry Christmas there as well. And uh, just to our podcast people, we certainly appreciate you always being here and being a part of this. And uh, just know uh, that we've got shows coming for you next week. And we just appreciate you uh, being here and being a part of this. And Merry Christmas to all of you.